All right, we're we're gonna we're in chapter nine today. We're in lesson uh, fifteen. We're gonna talk about again. He is trying to show his readers, who were primarily Jews, Christian Jews, that Jesus is far superior to the old Mosaic system, the law of Moses. And in particular, he's going to talk today about why Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is far more superior than sacrificing bulls and goats and sheep. Okay? So let's look together. We're in um, chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 16 through 28. But first of all, let's just look at the first two verses there of our section. We're going to look at verses 16 and 17. Here's what the writer says. For where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For the testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. All right, let me, so that's the new King James. King James would say the same thing. Let me explain to you what it's talking about, testament and testator, okay? Uh, first of all, that's talking about somebody who creates a will, all right? And the one who, the testament is a will. And the one who creates the will is called a testator, okay? Uh, I'm not sure why the translators chose, even in this modern translation, chose to use that word, but uh, that's what it's saying there. So let's talk about what he's saying here in these two verses. First of all, the nature of the will. In order for a will or testament to be valid, the writer of the will must die. Does everybody understand that? Everybody knows that, right? Everybody, uh, hopefully you've got a will. If you don't have a will, you need to do that, okay? So, and, it, and, and here's the thing. The validity of the will will only happen after you're what? Dead. Because you, I mean, you'll hear cases, you know what I'm saying, where people will all of a sudden show up with, you know, there's a will that was made with a lawyer and then another, then, I, but no, wait, we got to throw that one out because here's a handwritten document witnessed by two, two witnesses, you know, that this is his next will. And it over, you know, and we hear about those cases all the time. Which one is valid? That's for the courts to figure out. But here's what he's saying is, is that in order for a will or testament to be valid, somebody's got to die first. Right? Okay? That's a point that everybody acknowledges, we understand. So the will or testament is in force after the death of the writer of the will. So really it's not until the death of the writer that whatever the will says or the testament says will be in force. That's what the writer is saying here. So then he says, while the writer of the will lives, the will has no power. And I think everybody understands, that's just logical, okay? It doesn't matter, you know, you're written in the will, you're supposed to get a third of the, the inheritance. Because, uh, you know, that's your great uncle who's got lots of money, all right? And you're like, wow, I'm going to have whatever portion of his funds. Wow, and you're already planning what to do with it. Well, all of a sudden, uncle just decides to spend all but $10 of it. And he dies. So you get a portion of the what? Ten bucks. I mean, it really doesn't matter until he dies. You know, that's the point he's making here. So then look now, 
Look at what the requirement of the law is. He's going to focus now on the Mosaic law. Look at verses 18 through 22. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you. Then likewise he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. According to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. All right, so let's talk about the requirement of the law. First of all, the writer states that the first covenant or law required a blood sacrifice. The first covenant, again, is the Mosaic law. It required a blood sacrifice. That's the point he's making here. When Moses presented the law, he sprinkled the people and the law with blood. Okay? He sprinkled the people and the law with blood. Moses stated that this is the blood of the covenant that God required. So you're saying, man, why in the world? Why the killing thing? Why, why the sacrificing of an animal? Why the whole, the whole bloody mess? You know, sprinkling people. Why in the world is he doing that? Well, because God told him to. And if you read through the first five books of the Old Testament, particularly halfway through Exodus, in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, you will see that the sacrifices were prescribed by who? God. Because of what? Sin. Because of our uncleanness and our impurity. So the law required a sacrifice. So notice now, Moses also sprinkled the tabernacle and the vessels of ministry now, what are the vessels of ministry? That's the table of showbread, the lampstand, the Ark of the Covenant, different even utensils and everything. All of it had to be sprinkled with blood. Blood. Now, why? According to the law, almost all things are purified or cleansed with blood. Almost all things are purified or cleansed with blood. That's according to the Mosaic law. Because here's the thing. And you know that the law, if you go through Leviticus especially, if you go through Numbers, and especially if you go through a lot of the Old Testament, you'll see things like this. Different things can cause you to be unclean, which meant that you could not participate in worship at the tabernacle or at the temple. You couldn't approach God while you were unclean. So different things included, such as, okay, uh, touching a dead body. Uh, a woman in her cycle at a certain time of the month is considered unclean for a certain period of time. Uh, different things, like dealing with mold in your house. Your house could be considered unclean because you have mold. 
You say, I already know that. No, no, but you're ceremonially unclean. Okay? Different things. Uh, coming in contact with a Gentile can make you unclean. Because eating, eating, eating food that's not prescribed in the law can make you unclean. Different things. I mean, every area of their life was regulated. Because they didn't want to be, what? Unclean before God. And how you were cleansed is through sacrifice. So you understand, when we talk about blood here, it's not just the physical representation that they took some blood and sprinkled some blood on you. There had to be a death of an animal for that blood to be there. Do you understand? For that blood to be there. So he goes on and he makes a greater point here. There is no remission or forgiveness of sin without the shedding or the sacrifice of blood. Now this is the one that I think for most of us, especially today in the Christian church, we kind of lose this. What do you mean, George? Well, does everybody sin? Anybody here don't, who does not sin? You've reached perfection. Okay, thankfully you didn't raise your hand or you get laughed out of the room, okay? So, but here's the problem. We don't take our sins serious. Seriously, do you know what I mean? We don't really consider our sin to be that serious. Now, we look at the sin in other people's lives and we say, man, I can't believe they did that. How can they, you know, we'll talk about other people, right? But we won't talk about our own stuff. And it's because I don't think we have an understanding of how serious it is that our, about our sin. And the seriousness of our sin is this. Our sin requires death. It produces death, but it requires death. Do you understand what I'm saying? It requires death. And so for, in order for you to be forgiven, something had to die. Do you understand what I'm saying? In order for you to have forgiveness for your stuff, something had to die. Why? Because God requires that. It's an offense against Him. The penalty of sin is what? Death. Something had to die. And so before forgiveness or the remission of sin could take place, there had to be the sacrifice or the shedding of blood. That's what the Old Testament required. From the very beginning. Did you understand what I'm saying? They required sacrifice. So now, he goes on and he talks where we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the new covenant. So I want you to notice with me now verses 23 through 28. All right, let me just stop for a moment. Any questions about the old covenant? May I remind you that who was the old covenant for? Was it for you? No. No, not at all. So for you, was there any remission of sin through the sacrifice in the temple? Bum deal, huh? Seriously, it's not a good thing, is it? Alright? So, anybody got a question so far? Alright, pretty straightforward. Okay, let's talk now about the New Covenant. Look with me at verse 23, because he's going to tell you now why the new covenant is far superior to the old covenant. So here's what he says. Look with me, verse 23. 
Therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered the holy has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, and now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year with the blood of another. He then would have to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ has offered was offered once to bear the sins of many, to those who eagerly wait for him, who will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. All right, so let's talk about it here. First of all, he says, the heavenly things must be purified with a better sacrifice. The heavenly things must be purified with a better sacrifice. He goes on and says, Christ makes an entrance into heaven. Christ did not enter the earthly holy of holies, which is a reflection of the heavens. Now remember last week Bruce had a question, because in the book of Revelation, I believe it's chapter 11. Is that right, Bruce? I think it's chapter 11. Okay. It mentions the Ark of the Covenant in heaven. And so the question was, is that the Ark? Because it's missing now. Is that the Ark? Well, almost all commentators will say it's not the Ark. In fact, here the writer of Hebrews says that in heaven there are the true things and what's here on earth is a representation of what is in heaven. Okay? So what John sees in chapter 11, as far as the Ark of the Covenant, there is the actual Ark, the mercy seat. Okay? And and here he's saying that in heaven, if you look at what he says there, look with me, look at what the verse says. Look at verse 24. For Christ did not enter the holy, holy places made with hands, which are copies, look at that phrase there, copies of the true, but into heaven, now it appears in the presence of God for us. So what was made in the temple of gold is a what? A copy of the true, which is where? In heaven, in the presence of God. Okay? So that helps you to understand. All right, let's go on. Rather, Jesus Christ entered into the presence of God for us. He's entering into the presence of God for us. Now, he's not going to be like a Levitical high priest here. In what sense? Look with me. Look at, look at uh, if you need to, look at verse 25. Jesus does not offer or sacrifice himself often as a Levitical priest did. You notice, every time the priest had to come into the, to the area, there had to be a sacrifice. Every time the high priest would go once a year into the most holy place, into the holy holies, there in, in the presence of the ark, he had to make, what, a, a, a sacrifice or an offering of blood from an animal that was just sacrificed, a pure animal, or a bull. And what the point is, is that 
Jesus is not like that where he's got to continually make sacrifices. Now, let's stop for a moment. Why does the priest have to continually make sacrifices? For his own sins, because he's human. And as a human being, a day doesn't go by that you don't want sin. Okay? Now, Jesus didn't have to do that. Anybody know why Jesus didn't have to do that? Yeah, he was sinless. He could not sin. He was God. Fully man, but fully God. Okay? we got to remember that. Fully man, fully God. Alright? So, and just so you understand, God does not sin. God is not the author of sin. Alright? So then, the Levitical high priest entered the Holy of Holies once a year with the blood... That bottom part is, oh, blood of sacrifices. It's not on my TV here. With the blood of sacrifices. Okay, so we entered in once a year. And remember now, what was that, what, 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 which sins in particular were, was he offering sacrifice for? All sins? Yeah, sins of ignorance. Wow. I know I sin ignorantly, but, my intentional sins are far more than what? My sins of ignorance. Do you, do you understand? And so you see the failure of the system there. So here's the reason. Here's why Jesus doesn't do like a Levitical priest. Because Jesus would have to suffer continually since the foundation of the world. Why? Because he's making sacrifice for who, folks? You and I, and since Adam and Eve in the garden... Until the judgment, human beings are what? Sinning. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the point here. He would have to continually make, if he did it according to the Levitical system, he would have to continually make sacrifice of himself. Alright? So then, here's what he says. Jesus appeared once to sacrifice himself for who? All. Who's, who, who, who's included in the all? Is it just Jews? Yeah, Gentiles. Now, to understand that, you need to go to the book of Acts. Remember the big controversy? The big controversy after Jerusalem in Acts chapter 2 is a little bit later. The Samaritans come to the Lord, and i got to figure that one out. Like, really? The Samaritans can come to the Lord? And then later, the big controversy is in Acts chapter 10, when Cornelius, the Roman centurion, and his family come to the Lord. Why? Because they're what? Gentiles. And they actually were having a theological debate over that. If you read the scripture, they're having a theological debate. And finally, Peter says, how could we withhold the waters of baptism because the Holy Spirit came upon them? Obviously, God's doing something here. Who are we to argue with that? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So even the, the Jews at first were like, no, no, what do you mean it's for the Gentiles? No, no, it's for all. Yeah, Denny. Then it says himself. <clears throat> Is that prior to him? And... Yeah, it's for all. For, prior to him and after him. For all humanity. Who were looking forward to his coming? That they had their faith was in what was to come. Yes, yes, and for us, it's after he's come. Yes, yeah. In fact, here's what he said. He appeared 
to put away our sin through his sacrifice. There was a great quote um, that I saw this week from a guy by the name of Paul Tripp. Let me just read it to you. I thought this was so great. The gospel declares that there is nothing that could ever be uncovered about you that hasn't already been covered by the grace of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Because one of the things we fear is what are people going to, what if somebody founds out about my stuff? And what the, what the author, his, his name is Paul Tripp, says is that the gospel declares that anything that you would be afraid of of being uncovered is already covered by what? The grace of Jesus. Why? He made the sacrifice. Isn't that awesome? He made the sacrifice for us. So, here's, here's what he's saying. The reality of man... So the writer expresses a dual reality here. Okay? The dual reality is this. All men will die and what? Face the judgment of God. We all know this verse, right? It's appointed unto man, what? Wants to die, but after this, the what? The judgment. We all understand that, right? Nobody lives forever. We try to, we try to live forever. But how many hundred-year-olds have you talked to lately? Uh, they don't want to live forever. One of the things is, it's, most, it's very sad for me, because I've been around hundred-year-olds. Uh, Lori's grandma lived to be a hundred. And one of the things they say is all their friends are dead. And then when they outlive their own kids. Nobody wants to live. We all want to live forever now, but that's not the way it is. But the reality is, is that all of us, what? Will die. And then the writer makes it very specific. Then there's what? The judgment. The judgment. Okay, when you stand before the Lord, there isn't going to be a time of confession. No, no, when you stand before the Lord, you're going to acknowledge, but it is going to be confession, because everything is going to be there. I mean, you're going to remember stuff, you're going to have, it's, there is no, you understand, it's not going to be a we're going to spend the next 500 years going through people's stuff as they appear before Jesus. No, you're going to appear before him and you're going to know. But what, what, when you stand before him as a believer, you don't need to worry because if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that is what your salvation is. Because everybody's going to be found what? Guilty according to their what? Works. There is no scale system and all my good works out with, no, no. One bad work, that does you in. Okay? One bad work, that does you in. Yes, yep. Our righteousness is as but a filthy rags, is what Isaiah says. So when you stand before Jesus, and, and the issue is why should you be let in, it's, it's because of my faith in Christ, not because of me. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? There's not going to be an explanation time because he already knows and you're going to know. It's not going to be like, well, let me explain this happened on, you know, on Thursday on, in 1975. You know? Is there anybody, oh, you guys were, you, you were probably little ones in 75, okay? But, uh, you know, for most of us, we can remember 1975, okay? But, you know, the reality is, were you guys born in 75? No, okay, no, okay. Okay, let's, let's bring it up a little bit. Okay, all right. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, let's stop for a moment. Okay. Uh, you know, we, we won't remember 2002, okay? We're not going to, we're not going to, I keep forgetting, we do have younger people here now, okay? And I'm getting older. Okay. But the reality is, listen to me, the reality is, you're going to know. So let, let me just stop for a moment. When you read in the in the uh, scripture, it says that the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the false prophet are immediately cast into the lake of fire. They're going to know why. When they stand before Christ, the, the judgment is coming. There's not going to be any, oh, I've got, an, I've got a reason here. I've got an, there's no excuses. But for us in salvation... It's not because of what we've done. It's because of what he's done for us and our faith in that. Do you doesn't that relieve you? Man, that takes a load off your back, doesn't it? This is why Jesus is the better sacrifice. Now, here's what he says. Jesus was offered as a sacrifice in order to bear the sins of many. Jesus was offered as the sacrifice in order to bear the sins of many. And he goes ahead and he specifies who that is here. This is very interesting. Look at verse 28. He says, To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. He did this for those who would eagerly wait for Jesus' second appearance. So it's not like he forgives everybody's sin in the world, whether they believe or not. The forgiveness is for those who eagerly what? By faith. When you talk about eagerly waiting, you're talking about the issue of faith in his coming back, in his, in his salvation for you. Do you understand? So he did this for those who have what? Faith. Faith. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? Faith. So there's forgiveness. Isn't that awesome? All right? Let's get ready for the morning service. Coffee's in the back.